Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to the armorer herself, Emily Swallow. It was so great to dive deep into her instantly iconic performance, and we talk all about what it was like to work in the volume, be directed by Dave Filoni, Deborah Chow, and Taika Waititi, and the influences and experiences she brought to her portrayal. Okay, and then I just I just have to say it. This is the way. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 82, Emily Swallow. Obviously, before Mando and before diving into Star Wars, I always like asking people if they had experiences with the saga before they got involved professionally. Like, did you growing up have any love of the saga or what was that like for you? Absolutely. I mean, it was, um, I, I was born, I think it was right after the empire strikes back. And so it was always just part of my childhood. Like there, I didn't know a world without (laughs) Star Wars and I loved it. And, uh, like, my friends and I would set up like Ewok battles in the backyard. <laughs> and of course I wanted to be princess Leia, just like every other little girl and agonized that I couldn't get my hair to look like her. <laughs> there was definitely a love of it and a, a fascination with it. And um, I feel like there's something that feels like home about star Wars for so many people. Like as, as even though it's in a galaxy far, far away and there's all these aliens and there's all these, robots and you know droids and crazy creatures like the heart of it is just speaks to this longing that we all have so i think that that definitely fueled like a lot of the make-believe that i invented uh around it when i was a kid and then i i watched the prequels and the the more recent movies i hadn't really gotten into the animated um stuff about the mandalorians Mm -hmm. Um, the Clone Wars and everything. And so that was sort of introduced to me as I was working on on The Mandalorian. And now I'm just like, I mean, I feel like I could never stop learning about <laughs> Star Wars. There's so many layers to the universe. And um, and I love it. I love that it, it has inspired like so many different kind of tentacles of, of storytelling. It's really cool. I, lo- I love that. Tentacles of storytelling. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, the armor sticks out to me so much in a season full of characters that stick out to me, if only because she is such a classic Star Wars character in the sense that you don't see a face and you still have to emote so much and you have to yeah. deliver so much. I'd be very curious to hear your your background, whether in school or in previous jobs, whether it was mask work or mime work kind of then came into play when you had to, to do this on set. Yeah, it was such a great challenge. I had done some mask work for theater. Uh, when I was in grad school, I went to grad school at NYU and we had done work with Commedia and with, um, you know, different masks and some stuff with like clowning. And it was very cool to actually get to put that to use. Um, I realized that that was incredibly helpful as we were sort of trying to find the the language of movement of the Mandalorians because we we shot episodes one and three at the same time. So we were all of us who were in these helmets were kind of trying together to figure out what kind of movements translated. And, and, you know, it's a whole different thing when you're trying to uncover this for um, television than it is with theater, because there's close-ups and there's times during scenes when you're not seeing a character. And so I think that you have to be even more specific about the physical vocabulary um, to make sure that things are translating and that you're telling the story that you want to tell. 
So I, I mean, I completely trusted um, Deborah Chow and Dave Filoni were the, the directors for those two episodes. And they were so great at giving feedback, like as we were shooting about what worked and what didn't. And then the other thing that, that definitely inspired me for the armor specifically was when I was talking to John just before starting to shoot, like after I'd seen the, the costume and, you know, knew what all that looked like and had a little bit of a feel for the world. He said that he had really taken a lot of inspiration from Kurosawa films like Seven mm-hmm. Samurai and that that was sort of the, the kind of world I should be thinking about for the armorer and that, you know, some of those characters have this very clean, simple deliberate movement and that seemed so fitting for her it was it was it was very helpful that uh it sort of felt like less is more that felt right right for her and that definitely contributed to me not falling over as much on set because (laughs) (laughs) when I did have to like navigate that uh that set and and you know try to pick things up and move around like it was challenging to see Mm. clearly and to (laughs) to kind of feel my way around because like the boots were very bulky and the gloves that I was wearing were, were pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was also kind of cool. Cause it just meant like, I really had to just step forward in confidence and trust that like I was going to end up where I needed to be and I wouldn't trip on anything. And I think <laughs> the armorer is somebody who has complete confidence in her abilities and, and, uh, you know, isn't showy about it. So that even that was sort of helpful in, in finding her and allowing me to to feel that relaxation. Yeah, no, that's that's so interesting, if only because I think Mandalorian, and as we've seen in all the behind the scenes footage, more than most of the other Star Wars projects is so theatrical in itself because of the volume and because of the sets that were created. Yeah. It was a lot, it was a lot more tangible and a lot more real. But I'd be curious, just your experience working in the volume and working with what we're now associating with the Mandalorian look and feel, which is kind of grounded, you know, a lot more practical, but also a lot of heavy stunts and a lot of heavy makeup and, and costumes as we're discussing. How did that impact your performance and then also your just perception of, of the role? That's such an interesting question because I'm I'm thinking back now, you know, I, I knew so little about the rest of the show mm-hmm. outside of the scenes I was shooting. Um, they were so, so secretive about it. And I, I had scripts that I could read for my episodes and I got glimpses of things when I would go to set to shoot my scenes. Right. So I did get to see, you know, the, the razor crest and, and, some of the um, green screen work that they were doing with that. And definitely like the feel of the armorer's kind of lair <laughs> that told me a lot about her. And it trying to think about like how that, in, how that impacted what I knew about the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would just say that the, the detail that went into every element of my set and my costume and my, mm-hmm. like my, my weapons was, so incredible that I, I knew that whatever else they were creating was going to be equally as specific and imaginative. And, um, and I did know that John was sort of trying to capture a feel, the feel of the original movies mm-hmm. and that he took a lot of inspiration from like Westerns as well. So like combining the, like the Kurosawa elements and then the like sort of spaghetti Westerns and knowing that he was sort of basing the feel of it on those, those original three movies that sort of gave me a glimpse of like what the whole world was going to be like. But it's funny, I guess like without even really knowing a lot of specifics, I had complete confidence that it was going to be (laughs) 
spectacular because right. of how much care and detail was being put into all the elements that I got to see. So I knew like just with that limited perspective, the rest of it must be pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I love that. And I mean, you touched on it briefly with working with both Filoni and Deborah Chow on those early episodes. And then later on, episode eight, of course, directed by Taika. What Mm -hmm. was it like dealing not only with three different directors for your three different episodes, but also kind of that overlaying feel that John Favreau was trying to put into it? Um, How did you see all those pieces connect, especially like with your character as as a point of reference for for all different visions kind of coming at the same place? Well, everyone worked together so beautifully. I think that John just did a spectacular job of, I mean, he, he put together these directors who all have kind of different styles mm-hmm. and he encouraged them to play within those styles and not to feel like they needed to adopt some uniform look and feel. But then I think he was just so, um, he did such an effective job of communicating like what the overall feel of the story was that we were all telling and he encouraged so much collaboration. And I think he just puts, you get the feeling when you're talking to him that he is absolutely with you and listening and trusts what you are contributing to it. And I think that goes a long way. Like you can, you can have a team of really talented people together, but if there's not trust, then people aren't going to do their best work. And I think everyone felt so supported and so, And like, we were all an important part of this tremendous thing. So that went a long way. And I think, you know, John, John was there for everything that I was shooting. And I'm pretty sure that he was there for for all the episodes in some capacity. So he was always checking in, Mm -hmm. even if he, you know, even though he didn't direct on his own any of the episodes. So he was there for us to bounce questions off of and and it, that, you know, like I said, we were shooting one and three together. And so that was so helpful because we could all kind of compare notes. And we all went to Dave for any questions that had to do with making sure we were being faithful to right. Mandalorian lore and, uh, and all the, you know, the timeline and the characters and all the things that we already know about. And then with Taika, I mean, I've been such a huge fan of his for a while. So I was really excited to work with him and, and so curious to see what his approach would be. And he definitely, you know, brought a lot of his own very unique humor to it. And, but he, even he, like, you know, he was trying to make sure that we were being faithful to the, the tone of the story. And, um, and John would, would check in and we could, we could always bounce questions off of him. And so that was helpful. So I think it just felt like such a team endeavor. Like it didn't Mm -hmm. feel like, it didn't feel like there was a hierarchy of people. It felt like we were all contributing and we were all valued. And I think that that definitely went, went a long way in, in helping people to do their best work. Speaking on contributions and everything, I'd be curious your path, uh, even starting, let's say, early on as, as the casting process itself and then going through costume fittings and going through putting the helmet on for the first time and figuring out the voice. What was that process like for you, even from the very beginning of hearing about a potential role through the actual filming of it. How did you craft that character? <laughs> it was, again, unlike anything else that I've ever done because of the, the secrecy of it. So <laughs> I sort of, my understanding of what I was getting into unfolded very, very slowly. And <laughs> I'm sort of naturally, um, I'm very, you know, I say I'm cautiously optimistic, but I lean more heavily towards the cautiously part of that. Uh-huh. And so... I knew that I was I was getting involved with something Star Wars related, 
mm-hmm. but partly because I had no frame of reference, you know, there was no, there hadn't been a Star Wars TV show other than the animated series before, partly because of that. And partly because this whole Disney plus thing was this whole new thing. And, right. and you kind of, you get such varying quality of shows on streaming. Mm-hmm. And so I was sort of like, okay, I don't, I'm not, <laughs> what is this? Right. What am I getting involved in? Um, and I knew so little, I just knew about like my character and so, I mean, even I have to tell you, like even watching it when it all came out, I did not realize how important the armorer was until I watched the whole thing. So <laughs> I feel like I had like such a teeny slice of the pie, which in some ways was really, really liberating because it was easier not to get caught up in worrying that I was going to let everyone down by like not, not filling this role adequately or because I just honestly didn't know if it was a big deal or not. So I could just, I just focused on what I knew about the character, which was basically that she was this Zen like leader of this group of, of uh, refugees. And then I gathered, I definitely gathered from the script that she was sort of a mentor to, to Din Djarin. And it felt like, it felt to me like she had known him before and she knew what potential she had. And she was there, never going to push him too much. But when he showed that he was ready to step up to it, she was there to, you know, give him the nudge to go just a little bit further and to help him, I think, step more into his truth and not because he, he was so determined to be this lone ranger for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was really beautiful that he wound up, I think, feeling like he wanted to be part of these, of this, this warrior people. And he wanted to, wanted to claim that allegiance instead of like just functioning on his own. But in terms of like how I built it, I guess uh, the costume was a huge mm-hmm. guiding influence because before I even got a script, I got a costume. Right. And I remember going into legacy effects for the fitting and they were like taking a body cast and all this stuff. And I hadn't seen anything. So I didn't, I was just, you know, <laughs> wondering what it was all going to look like. And right. they started talking to me about different parts of it and different parts of the story. And I was like, Oh, okay, that sounds cool. And then at, at some point somebody said, wait, you have no idea what we're talking about. Have you seen like what this, character is going to look like and I said no I haven't seen anything (laughs) so they showed me a sketch and it just like I mean it blew my mind and that that's definitely when my imagination started to take off um so that was tremendously helpful and I mean it just gave me such a thrill because she looks so cool right (laughs) I mean I already I already had such I love that she is such a powerful and confident and patient mm-hmm. person, you know, I, I think that, uh, she carries her authority very easily. She's not ever trying to force anyone into listening to her. It doesn't feel like she needs to be super aggressive. I mean, until, you know, a bunch <laughs> of stormtroopers come at her. Right. And I really liked that patience and that kind of quiet confidence. Mm-hmm. So that also started to really get my imagination going because it felt like there was a lot that was important in between the words she was saying because she didn't actually say that much. Right. So, um, so you know, getting to fill those silences with wondering what she's observing. I think she's always watching. Mm-hmm. That was another piece of it. 
And then just, I mean, getting to set and seeing like that, that world where I was going to be spending all my time. I mean, everything that I shot was in that forge and then seeing the, you know, the weapons that I was dealing with. And I feel like the role, how do I, how do I want to say this? I feel like I, I learned exponentially more as I was going mm-hmm. in a way that like, I couldn't have learned some of it beforehand because so much of it had to do with like seeing the exact detail of like some of the weapons I was handling and then talking to John about what the feel of some of these forging sequences was going to be. That told me a lot about like seeing those flashbacks. I felt like that told me a lot about how she operates and her kind of her MO. So yeah, yeah, it all, it all came together in different ways. Yeah. And then of course it, it built towards this very powerful character, not only in terms of strength, but I think, in terms of the way that you portrayed her, the costume itself, but also the exposition that she was able to deliver. I think even it's it was great hearing your voice in the season two trailer, right? Because that, that speech from season one is so incredible, right? And so that's the first time you hear Jedi. That's the first time you kind of understand the stakes yeah. of what this whole thing is. I think that's so cool. And can I tell you that I had no idea that I was narrating <laughs> the trailer until the trailer was released. <laughs> that's great. What a great surprise. <laughs> I think... I, not to take too much more of your time, but I would be very curious, especially with the popularity of the character, popularity of This Is The Way, right? Just being, being oh, man. like maybe second only to Baby Yoda in terms of the output of, of The Mandalorian. But you, when conventions were actually happening, you really took the opportunity to really connect with a lot of different fans after the show came out, which is awesome. And I'd be curious what your experience was like kind of jumping into a Star Wars fandom. I know that you were involved with Supernatural, and I'm sure that has its own fandom. Um, but what was it like for you kind of interacting then one-on-one with what could be a very crazy fan base? Oh my gosh, it has been nothing but joyful. I feel like at least the fans that I've met are just so passionately in love with anything Star Wars and with the, the lore and they just get so excited when there's new characters that get introduced. So I felt, I felt very welcomed and it just, one of the things that is different to me, because the, the Supernatural fandom is incredible and so supportive and so passionate, but I love that the Star Wars fandom, like, it spans every single age. And I loved getting to meet different generations of the same family who were getting to enjoy Star Wars together. There's something that's so special about that. You know, people who grew up with it, like I did, people who are just getting introduced to it because their parents are into it. This is definitely like my, I have a, a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old nephew. And uh, this is the first thing I've done that they've cared about. So that makes me feel really cool. But yeah, there's just so much joy and support that I've experienced. I'm sure that there are people who get angry about different parts of it because that's what happens when you're, when right. you're passionate. Um, but I, for me, it's just been so positive. And I've also just been really struck with the the artistry of a lot of the fans, people who are creating these incredible cosplay, you know, armorer cosplay and all the other cosplay that they do. And then the fan art. I mean, people have tagged me or sent me so many cool things on like Instagram. And every time I see something, I, I try to repost it because so much of it is just really beautiful, incredible work. Right. So it's, I mean, it's, it's just been a blast. I can't wait till we can all actually, be in the same place again and and get to go back to conventions yeah no i can't wait either and i think i mean this is separate but i i'm very excited i think they kind of have been teasing finally an an armor action figure so that'll be um i hope so i think i think i saw some uh pictures of a potential um black series so i think that'll be 
Um, oh, sweet. That'll okay. be really cool. So uh, I can't wait for See, that. See, I don't know anything. Look at that. I find things out like <laughs> when everyone else does. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And uh, of course, you know, who knows what will happen in, in Mando season two. But I mean, any upcoming projects that you're excited about or other ways that fans can, can watch you in action? Yeah. Well, I just uh, earlier this year, there's a video game that was released called The Last of Us Part Two. And I'm involved with that. And then I'm so excited because I get to go back to work. For the first time since all of the pandemic stuff happened, I've been working on a CBS show called SEAL Team, and I'll be back for the next season of that. And the last half of the final season of Supernatural, which has yet to air uh-huh. um, because everything's shut down, I will turn up on that. Okay. So. So I'll be around a little bit. There you go. Well, that's really awesome, and I appreciate your time, of course. And I mean, I, final question is, I think I saw, and I was very curious, just, I read that there was a blacksmith advisor on the set of The Mandalorian. There was. What did you learn? Like, can you yeah. can you smelt something now? Like, what? what, uh, what... Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I, I learned how to look convincing while I was doing it. That was the main takeaway. But that that was just, I mean, that right there is a testament to the the level of care that went into it that they hired somebody like that to work with me because I, you know, as an actor, when you're doing something that's outside of your comfort zone, the more you can bounce ideas off of somebody who actually is well-versed in that craft and trust that what you're doing looks okay, the more you can relax and the, you know, the better work you can do. So it was incredibly interesting to me. It's one of my favorite parts of being an actor is all the cool stuff that I get to learn about professions that I am not in. But it it mostly had to do with making sure I was holding the hammer correctly and making sure when I was, um, you know, hammering something out that I was swinging it the right way so that I could be, I guess, potentially an effective blacksmith. (laughs) But I didn't have enough time to actually forge anything. Maybe that should be a goal. <laughs> a new, I mean, that could be a quarantine activity right there. Right there you go. I know, right? <laughs> Why not? It's a good hobby to pick right. up. Yeah, very, I mean, probably uh, a lot of real world uses, and I'm sure that would come in handy um, often. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, Emily, thank you so much for the time and the stories and uh, the incredible performance. Uh, the Armor, of course, is one of my favorite characters from Mando, and so it was a, a big thrill to, to be able to talk to you about it. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure to, to chat with you. Again, I'm just blown away that I got this chance to talk to Mrs. Swallow. Make sure you're following her on Twitter and Instagram, especially at Biggie Swalls. The link is in the bio. In the next few weeks, we'll have interviews with David Dozeritz, Blind LTD, and author of the infamous but beloved Glove of Darth Vader series, Paul Davids. I also, uh, last night, was on The Force Cast, which was a huge honor, a huge thrill, and great to talk to Ryan. So check that out on their feed if you want to hear more from me, because <laughs> I don't really talk that much during the show. But until then, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.